0: What was the worst job you've ever had? Think about that for a few seconds. I've actually had a pretty storied career in menial labor. Um, I've done things, I've been a trash man, I've mowed lawns, I've dug ditches. I actually spent a few months polishing office telephones so that they could be resold. But none of those things were jobs that I hated, actually. I kind of enjoyed them. I even thrived a little bit doing some of those things. There is one job that I hated, and that was being a cashier at Safeway. Now, I don't know if you're a cashier, and I'm sorry if you are, but for me, that job was the most soul-sucking, mind-numbing thing I could do for eight hours a day just scanning things and getting repetitive strain injury over and over and over and over again. And the people... The people, oh, there's so many of them. You see, I was 18 at the time when I started as a cashier, and I was not nearly as high-functioning of an introvert as I am now. So the prospect of having to have a conversation with people over and over again gave me the sweats. And I, you know, I hated that job. I hated that job. And every day I had to go and go in to do that, I dreaded it. And there's probably some of you here this morning who feel that. Monday morning, you're going to dread going to your job. And if you haven't felt that, well, you are the rare person among us because most of us have dealt with that. We've been in a job that we've hated. As a matter of fact, um, Gallup, the, the polling company, did a survey in the year 2013, not too long ago, and they found that 70% of the American workforce is what they call disengaged from their job. So that means, if you think about it, statistically speaking, that 70% of this church is not happy with what they're doing. And you might think hate is too strong of a word. But even if you're apathetic or bored with your job, I would say, personally, that I think you probably hate your job. Apathy can be the purest form of hate, after all. So it's an issue. And, you know, as I was doing my research for this sermon, uh, there I found tons of stuff on the internet about what to do if you hate your job. Top 10 list about what to do if you hate your job. And I actually remember one of the uh, bits of advice that somebody gave was that as you go into your job, just to imagine that you are encased in a, a protective eggshell. And I was trying to imagine my 18-year-old self in a protective eggshell, and it just wasn't working for me. I don't know Why? But don't worry, this morning I don't want to give you a top 10 list of these self help things. I don't want you to walk out with that. I want you to walk out with Jesus. Because I think Jesus is the one who will have what we need to deal with the jobs that we hate. So if you've been here through this series for the last couple of weeks, uh, then you know we've been doing a series called Undercover Boss. And we've been learning from Jesus how to do work. And before that, we did a series called Blue Collar God. And if you remember, we came up with a sort of biblical definition, not sort of, an actual biblical definition of work. And it's up here on the screen. Can somebody shout that out for me? That's awesome. It's fun to try and say something at the same time when nobody's leading it, isn't it? That's fun. But yes, that is the definition of work that we came up with. And we spent a lot of time thinking about that. But, you know, at a theoretical level, you can only do so much with it. And so when we talk about the undercover boss, we try to talk about giving legs to this definition. What does this mean day by day? So we talked about serving and leading. And as it turns out, in Jesus' mind, they're exactly the same thing. And then we talked about, what if you're retired or disabled? What does work mean for you then? And we tackled that issue. And then last week, Pastor Mark shared about how to deal with the rat race. Deal with comparison, consumption, chaos. And every step of the way, we have been sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from the ultimate undercover boss what it means to do work his way. And you know, who would have thought that a 2,000 year old Jewish rabbi would have something to, do, to say about how we do work today? But he does. And I'm grateful. So this morning, we're going to turn again to that Jewish rabbi from 2,000 years ago, and we're going to return to the Gospel of Mark, where we've been, Mark chapter 14. And I'm going to read the passage, and we're going to go through what it was like for Jesus to go through the situation that we're going to read about, and kind of sit in his shoes for a little bit. And then I'm going to apply uh, how Jesus went through that to our own lives. Okay, why am I spelling this out? Because I want to remind us that... We're not just reading about Jesus' disciples here in the Bible, but we are Jesus' disciples. And so uh, a disciple is is someone, uh, as you may know, who listens and learns and watches and follows and obeys. So this morning we are going to learn from the master of life. And he is still with us and teaching us even today. So turn with me in your Pew Bibles, if you've got a Pew Bible or if you've got an electronic Bible or whatever it is, to page 859 in your Pew Bibles, starting on verse 32 of Mark 14. Jesus and his disciples went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took G- Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death he said to them stay here and keep watch and going a little farther he fell on the ground and prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him abba father he said everything is possible for you take this cup from me yet not what i will what what you will then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping simon he said to peter are you asleep Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And they did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, we come before you as learners, as listeners. Lord, truly, we seek to learn from you what to do with our lives, day in, day out. So this morning, I ask that your Holy Spirit be present with us, that not only... uh, this be the words that I speak, but Lord, the the movement of Your Spirit in our hearts, truly teaching us and making this real for us. Lord, we trust You to do this this morning, Amen. Well, this is a pretty bleak passage, isn't it? We've got uh, this kind of sense of foreboding. Uh, the themes of betrayal and abandonment are just rife throughout this passage. This is close to the end of of Jesus' ministry, the last final hours even of his life. And uh, uh, just moments before, hours before we read this story, Jesus has sat down with his disciples and had his last supper with them. And there he tells them that someone is going to betray him. In verse 18, he says, One of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Can you imagine knowing that you are having a meal, sitting down and eating with someone who is plotting your death. And then moments after he tells his disciples this, he tells them not only will one of them betray him, but they're all going to abandon him. They're going to leave him in his moment of need. And Peter denies that he's going to deny Jesus. and He says, never, never. But Jesus knows better. He knows what waits for him. He knows... He knows to expect betrayal and abandonment. So no wonder, no wonder as he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, he is dealing with agony, distress. His spirit is troubled. And you know, as we talk about job dissatisfaction, being unhappy with our jobs, I don't, I would imagine, just guessing, that very few of us have experienced something like this in our jobs. Very few of us have experienced betrayal, abandonment, the threat of death. So if anybody had had reason to complain, to say, I hate my job, I would think it would have to be Jesus. So one of the things that's interesting about this passage is that as we read it, not only do we see Jesus disturbed, but I think we enter into um, being disturbed a little bit ourselves. Because there's some expectation on our parts as we read this to to imagine that Jesus would have everything under control, right? He's going to be cool, collected. He knows what's next. No biggie. It's all good. But when we see him disturbed, we get a little bit distressed too because he's in agony. He's distressed. He's a human being. And that's a good thing. That's actually a wonderful thing because it means that God can relate to us And we can relate to God. That means that we can learn from God how to be a human being. And therefore we can learn from God how to deal with a job that we may hate. So I think that there's two things that we can learn from Jesus in this passage. The first thing is that we can learn that Jesus was a man who knew what his mission was. And the second thing that we can learn is that Jesus was like a child with his father. So first of all, Jesus was a man who knew his mission. You know, it may seem odd to say that Jesus had a job, but he did. And he says of himself in John five seventeen, he says, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Now, if you were to think about this, what would you guess or imagine or study, as it were, what God's or Jesus's work was? You could say, okay, maybe Jesus' work was to build stuff from wood as a carpenter. Or maybe his work was to teach as a rabbi. But I think you're missing the point because, quite simply, Jesus' work was to usher in the kingdom of God. And as we see Jesus going about and healing deaf people and restoring poor people to their society, we get a glimpse of Jesus demonstrating what the kingdom of God looks like in our world. And he knew that to finish this work, it would cost him. It would cost him his life. But he was resolute in his mission. He knew what he was doing and why he needed to do it. And as a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Luke, there's a a term there. It says that he, on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to finishing his work, he says he, he set his face like flint. He set his face like flint. He knew what he was doing and he was ready to do it. So Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. And he knows the why of what he's doing it. In other words, Jesus is highly motivated. He's highly motivated. And even when his job gets harder than ever, he gets why he's doing what he's doing. But Jesus also knows who he is. He knows that he is a child of the Father. As we read this, just look at the first words of his prayer Abba, father. Abba, father. And if you you may know this, I'm sure Pastor Mark has shared this uh, at some point. But the word Abba is Aramaic, and it was a word that um, children would use in that time as a sort of informal way to address their fathers. And the best modern equivalent we have to this is the word daddy. Daddy, and daddy is a word of trust. It's a word of trust. And that trust is implicit throughout this prayer. Daddy, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, Daddy. Yet not my will, but your will be done, Daddy. So, even in this moment of agony and of of distress, Jesus does not doubt God's love, he does not doubt God's power. And he depends on it. He leans into it. and As a matter of fact, he asks for help in the midst of this. He trusts the Father. And so he says, Father, take this cup from me. A a call for help. And then because he knew his Father was good and powerful, he even felt the freedom to ask this because he knew that if it was possible, because God is good and loving, because the Father is good and loving, he would make another way. But at the same time, he sought out God's will, the Father's will. And he trusted in it and rested in it and submitted to it because he knew his Father was good. So yes, Jesus is resolute in his mission, but he is also trusting his Father like a child in that mission. So that's how Jesus is dealing with his job, so to speak. What does that mean for us? the 70% of us who are struggling with being disengaged or whatever we want to call it, hating our job. Well, first thing I want to ask you is, do you know what your job is? Do you know what your job is? It's kind of a trick question because I'm not asking you, are you a teacher or are you a dump truck driver or a cashier or whatever it may be? That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, do you know why you do what you do? Do you know what your motivations are? Do you know the job underneath the job, so to speak? Because when we talk about Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, you could say that Jesus technically was a carpenter or he was a rabbi. But obviously that's not the whole of the picture. Because Jesus' job was, as I mentioned, ushering in the kingdom of heaven. That was what Jesus was about. Now, I could spend a lot of time talking about the kingdom of God because Jesus spent a lot of time talking about the kingdom of God. It's actually a really great subject to talk about, but we don't have that time this morning. But the interesting thing is, is I think that we have been talking about the kingdom of God all along without talking in those terms. I remember the definition that we, we talked about earlier, definition of work. I know for many of you, this definition has reinvigorated what you do for your job space. It has changed, perhaps, your perspective on working. And I really believe that as you have entered into this kind of way of thinking about work, that you have actually been entering into the same mission that Jesus had. And if you think about it, just consider what Jesus did as he was going around and and healing the blind and and teaching and preaching and, and ultimately dying. Yes, he was doing something with what God had given him, So that the world thrives and he is glorified. So as it turns out, our definition of work and this mission of Jesus ushering in the kingdom of God are the same thing. They're the same thing. And I imagine as we sit here in this sanctuary that I could poll all of you and I would find a bunch of different motivations for why you do work. Tons of them. You might be because you, provide, you want to provide for your kids. You might be because you want to build up a bank account towards retirement, get this 401k. It might be because you want to have a successful career. Whatever it is, all those things are fine things. But when the going gets tough, will that be enough? When you aren't recognized by your boss for doing your work. When you don't find meaning in your job anymore. When you don't get enough breaks or vacation and you're just tired. When you don't like your coworkers. When you're faced with an unethical situation. In those situations, will you find that your motive is enough to keep you going? And knowing your mission won't necessarily change your situation, but it will, I believe, change you. When you say that my job is not just making benefits or my job is not just having a career, but if my job is to do something with what God has given me so that the world thrives and Jesus is glorified, then you begin to follow in Jesus' footsteps. You begin to become a disciple of Jesus. And instead of just being a cashier working for Safeway, then you become an agent of the kingdom, working for God himself. You become part of a bigger mission, part of a bigger story when you take on this mission for yourself. And that can make all the difference in the world. It made all the difference for Jesus because he knew his mission. And when he knew his mission, it was the basis upon which he was able to endure the agony of the garden. And it can be the basis upon which we are able to go through the situations that we have to deal with in our work. So, why we do our work matters. It matters a lot. But also, who we consider ourselves in our work matters, too. You know, sometimes I think that as Christians, we can feel like we are in a job. And if it's a job we hate, we imagine that we're in that place because God is punishing us. Or we're in that place because God has neglected us. And he has left us alone. But if you can remember, and if you can look at this story and see that Jesus himself, the Son of God, the Beloved One, was put in a place that he was clearly uncomfortable with, then perhaps the Father could call us into those places too. And the key to this is remembering that Jesus knew that as a child of the Father... God would have a purpose to his pain. And that this was a way that God was using him to accomplish his mission. And so I really believe that us too, as children of the Father, can have the same kind of trust. And as uh, as children of the Father, that we can believe that sometimes God calls us into difficult situations, into painful situations, into boring jobs, so that, so that, the world thrives and Jesus is glorified. But if you look at Jesus, and even though he trusted his father, he didn't leave the will of his father up to the imagination. He asked him. He asked him for help. He sought out the will and then he sought out the help to do that will. And you see, I can't tell any of you for sure what God's will is for your life. I can't. You have to reach out for God's hand like a child to his father and you have to seek out his will for you you have to seek his help to do that will and it may be this morning that you have to say uh, this pray the same prayer that Jesus prayed father everything is possible for you take this job away from me yet not my will but your will be done So do you see yourself as a child of the Father? Or do you see yourself as an orphan who's been abandoned to deal with your job, the job that you hate, if that's the case? Because if you see yourself as a child of the Father, then I believe that you will find that you have everything you need to do to accomplish that kingdom mission in whatever job that you end up in. And I'm emphatic I'm emphatic that knowing your mission and knowing who you are as a child of the Father matters. I'm emphatic that knowing the why and the who matters because I know that it matters for me. It's made a difference for me. Some of you are like, "Uh uh-oh, does he hate his job as a pastor? No, I love my job as a pastor. But remember, I hate being a cashier. Or at least I thought I did. Because recently I got an opportunity to do it again. Now, a couple of you might remember uh, when this past uh, Men's Mexico Build trip, there was an opportunity that the Rainier Stadium, I don't even know how to say that right, Cheney Stadium, the Rainier Ball Club, they were offering up an opportunity for guys to come and work in the concession stands and raise money to go on the trip. My trip was paid in full, but I wanted to help out. And it never crossed my mind for some reason that I might be running a register. So I went in blindly. It's like, oh, I'm going to help, yeah. And then I show up, and and lo and behold, I end up behind the dreaded register. You know what? But it's interesting. About halfway through the night, I realized that something was different. Something had changed in the 15 years from when I'd previously been a cashier. And I realized this when uh, an angry customer came up to me and demanded that his crumbly, nasty hot dog be changed for a different hot dog. And I realized this. I realized that something was different when I had another customer who was angry with me because their food wasn't getting out in time, and they were very impatient. And I realized that something was different when I found out that we were understaffed, and that's why the food was taking so long to come out. Because in all those situations, I didn't stop and say, I hate this job, like I would have 15 years ago. I didn't. As a matter of fact, I was kind of enjoying myself. Strange. And you know, on reflection, I realized that the reason why is because I knew... Why I was there. I knew why I was there. And I knew it wasn't just because I was being a cashier. I was on a mission. And I knew that I was not alone. I knew that my father was there with me. And if if that was the case, then I knew that how I reacted to those angry customers (laughs) made all the difference in how my little slice of the world thrived. And how Jesus was glorified. I was a better cashier that night. Because I was a better disciple of Christ. And the years between. So maybe 70% of you hate your jobs. Maybe all of you love your jobs. I doubt it. But you know what? It doesn't really make a difference whether you hate your job or you love your job. Because I really believe if you know the why and the who. If you know what your mission is. And if you know that you are a child of the Father, it makes all the difference in the world. And yes, your circumstances might change, but you could change. This morning, many of you saw in your bulletins there was a a business card there of sorts. And on that card it said, your name, your role in the kingdom, and then your challenge. And I want you to take a few minutes to write this down. Uh, Write down whether you're a teacher or whatever, and then I'm sure all of us have challenges in our jobs, whatever that may be. And I want us to practice what Jesus practiced. I want us to practice discipleship this morning, and I want us to offer our jobs as an offering to the Lord this morning. So we're going to have plates on the stage here, and uh, offering plates. And, And as you think about your job and as you pray about your job, you can bring up this business card and just toss it into the plate as an offering to the Lord. But for some of us this morning, some of us need to pray that prayer of Jesus. That everything is possible for you, Father. Take this, whatever it is, away from me. Yet not my will, but your will. So we're going to have some elders and some people from the prayer team on the sides here. And up on the balcony, we're also going to have some some people up there. As a matter of fact, if you're going to be one of the people uh, offering prayer, can you raise your hands up on the balcony? So the people know who you are. Take some time. Look at this card. Pray over it. Offer it. Think about your job as something that God can be a part of, as a child of the Father. Think about what He has called to you to do as an, usher, an agent of the kingdom, ushering in the kingdom. And then come up here when you're ready and offer that to the Lord. I'm going to ask the people who are praying uh, to to stand and come forward now to be prepared for that. I'm going to pray real quick. Father God, I'm grateful that you are the one who came to show us what it's like to be a human being in ways that no one has ever seen before. I'm grateful for your experience, but I'm also grateful, Lord, for your Holy Spirit because we would not be able to do this without you. So this morning, as we consider our jobs and our roles in the kingdom, and the challenges that we face. Lord, would we lift that up to you? Lord, as a child with their father, may our own hands be open. May we seek your will. May we ask you for your help. Lord, may we trust you. So this morning, Lord, we ask you to help us with that. Meet us here this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. This is going to be our last sermon on work, but I don't think our discipleship should end here. Wouldn't it be awesome if we continued to think about how is God with me in my job day by day? Wouldn't it be awesome to be on mission with whatever you do? Wouldn't it be awesome to know that you are a child of the Father, no matter what? So I pray that you walk out of here with Jesus, And that he is with you wherever you go, whatever you do. However much difficult it is, however much you love it. May Jesus be with us. Amen.